Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. This week on Millennial. I'm not even actively trying to fight not going to see it. I don't want to. I don't care. I don't even want to see the trailer. And I was forced to watch the trailer when I went to the movies the other day. I was mad about it. No, my eyes, my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) When you look at the demographics that consumed Twilight. I mean, think about when we were doing the imprint tour, for example, Andrew. Yeah. The people who came out to that, it was mostly young women and gay men. (laughs) Like, you'd have to be an idiot not to see that that's your demographic and be like, oh, I'm not going to say anything about that. If you're tired of J.K. Rowling, come over here to Rick Riordan land because... We're hiring. (laughs) It's great. Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting but real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. We're jumping straight into the focus of today's episode. We are going to discuss the death of the author concept. This is in light of the upcoming release of The Secrets of Dumbledore, the latest Wizarding World movie co-written by J.K. Rowling. And we wanted to spend some time discussing how Harry Potter fans are grappling with a very problematic author and how us as Harry Potter podcasters are performing a balancing act. Laura, I think this is going to be therapy for you and I as the Harry Potter podcasters here. Yep. There might be some tears. There might be some flipping of tables. We'll see where this discussion goes, but I think it's going to be a very open self-reflecting, and serious discussion about where we all stand on things. And to help us with today's discussion, we're joined by our friend Karen Roth. Welcome back to the show, Karen. Hi. It's great to have you back on. I think you were last on around a year ago, sometime last year. Yes. She's a former hypable writer, and Karen is a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She also podcasted about Buffy for a while. This was a series created by Joss Whedon, who in recent years has been accused of misogyny by cast and crew members. So we're going to talk about the death of the author concept from the angle of two fandoms today. Karen, how many years have you been a Buffy fan? Uh, you know, I don't remember exactly when I started watching it. I when it first was on television, I was too scared to watch it. So I didn't actually watch it live. But when we were doing rewatchable on hypable, we did a whole like we did all of Buffy and all of Angel. So we actually discussed every single episode. And I had seen it prior to that. But it really opened my eyes to the show and everything and made me think about it a lot more deeply. Uh, So that's, I I was already a huge fan, but I think that cemented, you know, what the show really meant to me and the parts that spoke to me most. Yeah. And then Laura, Pam, are you two Buffy fans? Not as much as some. I've seen a few episodes here and there, um, but I have a few close friends who are huge Buffy fans, but who are grappling with some of the same feelings and questions that we have as Harry Potter fans. So I think there's a lot of overlap. 
Yeah, I was a very casual fan when the show was airing. It was kind of hard not to be because it was such a, a huge show for, I believe it was on what was then referred to as the WB, but the history of the CW kind of gets a little dicey for me. So it might have been called something else. Um, and and then I know that, you know, Joss Whedon and the Whedon verse also extends out his fandom is far stretched because then you have, you know, Firefly and uh, Dollhouse. And then, you know, he had his hands also in some of the Marvel movies as well. So, you know, he's been around for a really long time. A lot of his titles have been revered by uh, fanboys and fangirls and fan people all over the world. So I know that like J.K. Rowling, it was very disheartening to hear that he was not the best person when all of that came out. Yeah, I'm really excited that we're taking this from two fandom angles today, Harry Potter and Buffy, to really open this conversation up and get some new perspectives involved. So, Karen, thanks for joining us today. Thank Karen, you. you're an author, too, right? Tell us about what you do real quick. I co-write the Cassie Quinn mystery series with LT Ryan, and they're basically just a paranormal mystery series. And I have a second series that I'm working on now, um, writing the second book. Well, I should have written some today. I did not. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> um, and that's like a straight up kind of thriller type series. So that pretty much takes up most of my time these days. Mm -hmm. And you haven't been canceled yet? Not yet. Okay. Hopefully not anytime soon either, but you never know. Karen's as good as they come. She loves Eminem. <laughs> that's her wild side. But but that's it in terms of her wild side. She's she's so pure otherwise. <laughs> <sighs> you bring that up every time we I talk. I know. What's wrong with Eminem? I love I, Eminem. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with Eminem. I'm dead serious. I just love that about Karen. It's like <laughs> it, you just don't expect that from Karen. That's all I'm saying. Very quickly, since you brought this up, Karen... What were your thoughts on the Super Bowl performance? Like, were you really excited? Were you happy with um, the Eminem stuff that we did get there? You know what? I'm really upset that you asked me this question because now I have to admit live on air in front of millions. You have millions of listeners, right? Yes. Um, That I forgot he was performing until Danielle texted me and said, I'm watching your boy. And I was like, who's my boy? And I was trying to go through the list of possibilities. And I actually missed the entire thing live and had to watch it later on YouTube. Uh, but I, I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. But I did completely forget that he I'm, was doing I'm that. so sorry for exposing you. <laughs> it's okay. So she's not the super fan we thought she was. My apologies. Everything is a lie. <laughs> That's what I'm Do learning. Do you even know me? You're just making up this story so I stop bringing up that you're an Eminem super fan because that basically just implies that you're not. So now I'm just going to stop bringing it up. I think that's what just <laughs> happened here. <laughs> so anyway... To get this discussion started, Pam, do you want to kind of introduce us to this concept of the death of the author? Yes, um, I thought this was, really, this was really important to do at the top of the show because I feel like more and more as once beloved creators get canceled for whatever reason, we hear more about this idea of the death of the author. Uh, what some of you might not know is that this actually originates from a 1967 essay written by French literary critic Ronald Barthez. And in that essay, 
Bartez basically states that an author is merely a, quote, scripture, uh, scripter, and that their politics, religion, and other biographical facts that shape who they are shouldn't necessarily dictate how one interprets their writing. And then furthermore, the essay goes on to talk about how the author doesn't di- dictate the uh, their work's meaning, and the meaning ultimately comes down to the reader and how the reader interprets that text. I wanted to know if we were familiar with this phrase before, if you guys had heard it being tossed around on the internet. And I kind of just wanted to start by getting a little temperature check. And I wanted to know how the idea of this makes everybody feel overall. I've heard of the term before, but I didn't know where it originated. So thank you for sharing that. And honestly, I get some comfort out of this concept. Um, because we are living through kind of a strange moment right now as Harry Potter fans, because J.K. Rowling is, you know, very much still present. Um, it's different to look at her and her works versus, say, Shakespeare, who's been dead a hell of a long time. So his anti-Semitism, for example, isn't something that is sort of as readily talked about or reported on as J.K. Rowling's transphobia is because she's here alive and present. Um, So I find it comforting to see that there is this belief that some people hold that you can separate art from the artist and you can still gain enjoyment from something while recognizing that it comes from, I'll say, diplomatically an imperfect <laughs> source. Um, but we could be a little stronger with that language as well. Um, so yeah, I I tend to agree with this. I think that if you stopped liking anything because the creator did something that was problematic, you probably wouldn't be able to like anything uh, because it's hard to find a creator who isn't problematic and everyone is problematic to some extent right yeah of course jk rowling is a very special situation because she is still alive she's actively tweeting even this week about her issues with transitioning and trans people and trans rights all of that she doesn't let up she doesn't seem like she wants to hear the other side and then she's also a bully on twitter Taking that mm-hmm. Shakespeare example um, and looking at that a little more, one big difference between J.K. Rowling and Shakespeare is Shakespeare is not currently profiting off of his work. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a very important difference, too. And I think when people look at these di- different authors, one critique that we've seen about supporting Harry Potter right now is that you know that the Harry Potter franchise is alive and very well right now, whether or not you see this new movie. People argue that you are giving her money right now if you purchase anything, however small her cut may be, and that further rises her up and gives her more power and more influence and and kind of says to her and to the world, I'm happy to continue supporting J.K. Rowling and Wizarding World Inc. I'm, I'm with Laura here in terms of it, it. I do take some comfort from this idea because... When you read something, you interpret it in your own way and you apply it to your life in a certain way. You know, we grew up with Harry Potter. That was very formative for me. And I, it's impossible for me to separate my feelings about it from what's going on now, unfortunately. And even though I don't support what she's 
saying online, it doesn't change how I grew up with this series. So this idea of death of the author kind of helps a little bit with that, even though it's just such an unfortunate situation for somebody that I think, you know, we looked up to when she was putting out the books. And as a writer, you know, she was one of my inspirations. So it's it's really tough sometimes. I know there's also kind of been a little bit of a reckoning, a reckoning amongst fans because the transphobic comments aside, you know, the the Harry Potter text in and of itself as it is outside of J.K. Rowling's personal views is not perfect. Like there are some flaws in there. Um, and I know that I'm sure you guys have talked about this before on MuggleCast as well. It's uh, not very diverse. There are some general stereotyping that's happening as well in there. Uh, Karen, I'm curious about this in terms of like Buffy for anybody that maybe hasn't seen that show. Could you kind of like break down some of the more problematic issues that people usually uh, attribute to Buffy being a product of the time in which it was released? Because, you know, JK Rowling was kind of working on Harry Potter when Buffy was on the up and up. So I think that that's particularly interesting too. Yeah, there there are actually, I think, a lot of parallels in terms of how we're seeing this content, both from Harry Potter and Buffy, now that a lot of us are older, we know better, we, we're in touch with more people through social media, so we can kind of see what's wrong, and things we didn't notice before. And that's one of the huge takeaways that I had from doing the Rewatchable podcast on Buffy is that I was a kid who's, you know, white, grew up in a predominantly white area, and I didn't necessarily know better when I was a kid or when I was a teenager what Buffy was lacking. I just thought, okay, this is a really cool kick-ass woman who's, you know, fighting vampires. That's awesome. And going through that podcast episode by episode with people who grew up in different places, have different cultural backgrounds, have different opinions, it really opened my eyes up to that. And I will say that, you know, diversity is a huge issue as well. And you really do see a lot of the misogyny when you take a minute to look at it. And I think that's what made it a little bit easier to kind of transition out of supporting Joss Whedon because we were going through that show and we had, you know, one of our friends, Ariana, on the show and she had a lot of issues with it. And it was stuff I didn't think about before, but when she brought it up, I listened and I understood where she was coming from. And especially when you go into everything that happened with Charisma Carpenter, for those that don't know, she was on the show and she was on Angel as well. And she ended up getting pregnant and Joss Whedon basically fired her for it. And it wasn't until recently, I mean, I feel like everybody kind of knew this story, but it wasn't until recently that she really spoke out about it. And then um, Michelle Trachtenberg had talked about a lot of issues that I definitely wasn't aware of at the time. And by that point, we were already kind of not feeling great about Joss's portrayal. And even in Firefly, there's some stuff in there that you're like, ooh, this is kind of icky when you look at it a little bit more closely. So, yeah, I mean, it's been hard, but I think over time, you kind of just accept that 
sometimes your heroes don't live up to your expectations. Yeah. So do you think that other fans have been grappling with the Joss Whedon issue in the Buffy fandom? Definitely. I've, you know, my circle isn't that big, but I've seen some people online, some people, a lot of people who wrote for Hypable who were fans of Firefly and Buffy and not really wanting to support his new projects. I think he had a show on like Amazon or something recently. And I knew a lot of people were like, I don't really want to watch this. Or they kind of were going to watch it, but not right when it came out. So it didn't help boost those initial numbers and that sort of thing. It also is a little bit strange because I feel like he's not as active on social media anymore. When all of that came out, he kind of disappeared And that's very different from J.K. Rowling, where she's constantly talking about this stuff. So I'm not sure if that kind of helps that he's in the background a little bit more, but at least that's what I've been seeing. I would prefer that for J.K. Rowling instead of her continuing to tweet. (laughs) So tired of hearing from her. But on the other hand, has Joss really apologized for his actions? I know he had a very strange interview a few months ago where he kind of like doubled down on everything. Yeah. I haven't seen any apologies. So that's really just as bad as as J.K. Rowling, really. Yeah. That's interesting. And we've been talking so far today about what happens to our feelings and our just our view of everything when we think for a long time that someone is our hero. And then because of their actions, they aren't. I know, Laura, you really wanted to speak to this. Oh, yeah. This is probably where we're getting into the therapy of Lay down. This, this session. I know. <laughs> I know. Take deep breaths in and out. This isn't a secret. I feel like I've been pretty open about this. I started reading Harry Potter when I was 11 years old. I'm 33 now. Um, so Harry Potter has been a huge part of my life. I joined MuggleCast when I was 15, 16, something like that. Harry Potter has been a huge part of my life in that all of the people I know today who I consider my closest friends I wouldn't know if it weren't for Harry Potter. And for the longest time, I really idolized J.K. Rowling because she was, you know, in my eyes, a strong woman who had pulled herself out of a terrible situation by telling this wonderful story about this boy wizard. And not only had she made it big, but she was contributing a ton of her wealth towards really good charitable organizations and efforts. And she felt like the kind of woman that I I sort of wanted to model myself after when I was a young woman. And to have that taken away through a few tweets is kind of a shattering feeling. And I haven't said that before now because I want to acknowledge um trans people saw this coming way before most of the rest of the internet. Um, Trans people had been signaling the alarm. They'd been ringing the bell for quite some time that she was showing these tendencies. Um, So I, I can't imagine what that must have felt like to have seen that coming, to have been speaking out about it and to kind of be ignored until it becomes blatant enough that everybody else notices it. Um, so this is in no way an attempt to try and compare my feelings to what their feelings must be. Um, but taking into account that 
I was having this personal reckoning that like my childhood hero, who I idolized well into adulthood, um, had turned out to be a bigot in the middle of 2020, which was a shit show of a year anyway, for various reasons, it hit really, really hard. Um, I had some emotional moments and some emotional conversations about it. Um, You know, people who've been listening for a while might know that my boyfriend, Mark, is like super into Marvel. And he he was like, I feel so bad for you because his equivalent to J.K. Rowling is Stan Lee. And he was like, I don't know what I would do if something like this came out about Stan Lee. It would kind of feel like a big part of my life was a lie. And that might sound dramatic, but that's how it felt. I don't, Especially when you consider being in fandom for as long as we've yeah. been. I don't think that's dramatic at all, because even if none of us had entered fandom to the extent that we did i mean i don't it's not a stretch to say that we're all here right now because of fandom and how lucky Mm -hmm. are we that we still get to do this so many years after we started participating because of something that we love but even if we had not done that we hadn't been moved to do more because of our love for um you know the series i just kind of think that when you read something that feels profound to you at a time when you are in a formative a formative age it's impossible for that to not have an effect on who you are as a person and regardless of the you know controversy surrounding JK Rowling or some of the uh flaws that the series has as a whole there are some really good parts in there i think that there are some great valuable life lessons that so many of us hold dear a lot of it is mm-hmm. you know about leading with love and choosing empathy. Um, and all of those things are good things. So it is really hard to reckon with that when you think about how perhaps something like a Harry Potter made an impact on you in terms of you choosing to live your life by that moral compass. And then it turns out that the person that created all of that is the complete opposite of that. And I know that for me, that was what one of the things that was the most heartbreaking when all of this started coming out, especially when you think about all of the people that found solace and escape in these books and then just felt like that safe space was all of a sudden ripped away and they didn't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Laura didn't use this particular word to describe her early relationship with J.K. Rowling, but I will. She felt like a mother to me. She raised me in ways similar to how your real mother would. I was paying attention to her during my formative years, and I took a lot of what she would say and write in her books to heart. I felt this was a figure I could lean on. I had a parasocial relationship with her. And then her views start coming out over the last few years, and it's a shock to the system. And it feels like this woman who sort of raised me can no longer be trusted. And I look at photos and video of her now, and I'm like, I can't believe there was a time when I saw this woman as a motherly figure. Right. It's like anytime you see her name trending on Twitter, I don't know about you guys. I just get like a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach because I know I need to go see why she's trending. But I'm also just dreading seeing how far she's taken it this time. Yeah. And I just feel like I don't know her anymore. And the trans stuff, her, her stances on trans people aside, how she's been handling all of this too, particularly on Twitter, has been really disturbing. She has been bullying people 
on Twitter. She, a grown adult billionaire living in her castle, has been a bully on Twitter to some people who mildly criticize her. Even over really petty stuff, like she's bullying over typos. She did that a couple weeks ago. It's really bizarre behavior for somebody who has everything they could possibly want in life, or so we think. She's a perfect example of how money does not actually buy happiness. If I was her, I would be off in a cabin, off the grid, no internet access, probably not even a phone, just living my life on a lake. But instead, she seems very lonely. Maybe there's some problems we don't know about, but I just find it very, very odd that she needs to take out all of her aggressions on social media and continually repeat all this stuff that is objectively harmful to trans people and the LGBTQ community on a whole. Well, and it's particularly ironic, especially for someone who has been such a mental health advocate in the past and an advocate of like seeking therapy if you need it in the past to see her turning around and bullying people who have less than 500 followers on Twitter. Um, There have been a couple of cases where she's threatened lawsuits to some of these smaller accounts over things they've said. It's just nuts. Um, to it's, me, it's petty stuff. It's stuff it I would do, but I'm not a billionaire. You know, I'm trying to hustle out there on social yeah, media. <laughs> yeah. I just think again, and this is, I don't know that this is true across the board, but I think in some cases there is a certain threshold of money where when you pass that point where you're that rich, it does something chemical to your brain. <laughs> Seems and so. I'm not I'm not saying that that justifies anything she's doing or that it explains her horrible takes on trans people and trans rights. But I think it's what kind of <sighs> promotes her thinking that she must be right about everything yes. that she says and thinks. And she can't imagine a world in which anyone would push back against her because she's been surrounded by yes people her entire career. And now that people are starting to push back and call her out, she can't handle it. Right. Oh, that's such a good point. I mean, I've been so successful. How could anything that I possibly think be wrong at this point? You think I'm wrong? Have you seen my bank account? Let's look at your bank account. Have you seen my castle? Let's look at your apartment that you're renting. I really do think, I, I think you're right. She she feels yeah. that way because she has been so successful. And look, she's a great writer. You know, we can still admit it. She's a wonderful writer. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's given her quite the ego. Yeah. I think that uh, over the course of what we dis- we've discussed so far, we've all admitted to still enjoying, you know, these things for what they are. Uh, do we feel like we're in a position of privilege to still be able to enjoy things like Buffy or Harry Potter? Because, you know, at the end of the day, specifically in the context of Harry Potter, for example, none of us are necessarily directly in the group of people that are being targeted by J.K. Rowling. You know, none of us are trans, even if we consider ourselves allies, even if we try to be uh, good allies for our, our our trans friends. So how do we how do we reconcile with that, or do we even think about that at all? I do a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it does come with a great degree of privilege that we, for example, can 
you know, openly share our love of Harry Potter and not have people who are aware of J.K. Rowling's views on trans people to like immediately go there conversationally first, um, which I would have to imagine if you're a trans Harry Potter fan who's talking to other fans who are really in the know about everything that's going on. That has to be one of the first questions that comes up. And I'm sure that's fucking exhausting um, because any fan of these books should be able to enjoy them without constantly having their identity used as part of the conversation. Um, But I honestly don't. And I'm still trying to figure out the right way to go about still being a fan because it has been such a big part of my life and also being an ally. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. And we'll dig into that a little more in a little bit. I, this is a question that I think about a lot too, Pam, like Laura, because we are doing the podcast, because we've had such a long relationship with, with Harry Potter, it is difficult, but I do try to keep at the front of my front of my mind the very deep and very valid concerns of the trans community. I think about our friend Sarah Steelman a lot. She came on MuggleCast very early on during this ordeal and really rang the alarm for us. And I think that was really enlightening. She was speaking about the exact harm that J.K. Rowling is causing. What about you, you, Karen? I completely agree with you guys. It's extremely difficult knowing that ultimately her stances don't personally affect me, that I will never see the violence that her words can cause. You know what I mean? Like what she's saying is extremely dangerous. And I never have to grapple with that because I'm not trans. And I am trying to do my best to not support her and to make it known to my trans friends that I will never agree with what she's saying. But it's extremely difficult when you're not the target of that hate to really know what you should do without stepping over the line, without, you know, taking that upon yourself in a way that you kind of shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I want to bring up another very important question here, I think. It's something I think about a lot. As we all know, Harry Potter is just insanely popular. It's reached critical mass. It's another Star Wars It's never going away. And yet, I think a lot of people do try to, quote unquote, cancel Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling because they're really disappointed in J.K. Rowling and want to see her uh, no longer be successful because of these harmful views. But here's the problem. I'm not so sure that J.K. Rowling's stances are very widely known. We do exist in a bubble, not just with... uh, MuggleCast, not just with this podcast, but the internet is very much a bubble. And the reason I bring this up is because every day, again, Harry Potter's a critical mass. What do we see out and about? We see people wearing the Harry Potter t-shirts. We see kids reading the Harry Potter books. I went to my neighbor's house for a Halloween party and me and Pat were dressed up as a Gryffindor and Slytherin and the parents um, at the house that we went over, they said, oh, we love Harry Potter. The movies are so great. They have no clue what is going on with J.K. Rowling. And I think You add to this the fact that J.K. Rowling has really only brought this up on Twitter. She's only voiced her concerns and her views on Twitter. She's got that one blog post on her site. But that's it. 
the large majority of Harry Potter fans, I really believe, and when I say fans, I do just mean like even the casual ones. I think of my sister who might tune into Harry Potter when it's airing on ABC Family for 20 minutes and then move on with her day. The casual fans do not know what is going on with her. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair statement, at least for most people who aren't sort of living in the Twitter space. And we've talked on the show before about how Twitter is not real life. Um, people people aren't talking that way out in public unless they're on a cable news channel. Um so unless you're really involved in those spaces or really involved in fandom, I think it's fair to say that, you know, you might not have any idea this is going on. I also know a couple of people sort of like on an acquaintance basis um, who aren't involved in the fandom, but consider themselves pretty big Harry Potter fans. And they only... They've only heard like whispers of this. They've only heard like passing like statements about it. So they don't really understand the whole context. And what that gives them is the ability to be like, oh, well, you know, I I can agree to disagree with J.K. Rowling. And that's hurtful, too, because it's like, well, we can't agree to disagree about human rights and people's right to live with dignity. Um, but people aren't thinking about it that deeply. Mm-hmm. And Twitter isn't even one of the biggest social media networks. TikTok, Facebook, that's that's yeah. where everybody really is. And like J.K. Rowling's tweets aren't being reported on the news as far as I know. You're definitely not going to see them on the front page of the New York Times. Her views haven't reached critical mass like the rest of Harry Potter has. That's something that I was wondering about as you guys were talking is that, yeah, I mean you know, my mom likes Harry Potter. She would have no idea that this was going on unless I specifically told her, hey, don't buy me Harry Potter stuff anymore because I don't really feel comfortable having you spend money on that for me. And I think that there are a ton of people who can just turn away from those rumblings because it doesn't affect them and they're happy living in their own little bubble separate from this. But do you guys think that the media will eventually report on this. And when it does, will that start changing the tide a little bit? If she like recorded a video statement and I don't know, made some big news within that statement, maybe. But if it's just more of what she's been doing on Twitter for two, three years now, no, I don't think it's going to start getting any more attention. Let's say maybe this new Fantastic Beast movie bombs. And then the, not that this would happen, but CNN starts speculating, why did Fantastic Piece 3 do so bad? Let's say it's a really slow news day, so they're desperate for something to talk about. (laughs) Then they would maybe get into what J.K. Rowling has said on Twitter, but they wouldn't even go too far into it. Like, we're spending probably an hour doing today. It just, it, it's, it's not a story that the media has decided to cover. I'm glad you brought up that clickbaity headline like why is this movie not doing so well i'm kind of sort of just waiting for all of those think pieces to hit the internet after secrets of dumbledore comes out and maybe it doesn't perform as well as something like something from a movie from the original franchise did Um, obviously we can see in terms of just box office stats 
that as far as Fantastic Beast movies go, the domestic box office numbers have been slowly declining. And so I just kind of feel like that's something that we're going to see. But on the other hand, I kind of feel like the easiest scapegoat for answering this question is honestly the controversy surrounding Johnny Depp, because in terms of America and the American-centric view of how the news cycle works, that has gained way more headlines over here in Hollywood than anything J.K. Rowling has tweeted. And I feel like it would take her maybe backing some anti-trans, anti-queer um, politician or mm. something like that for it to really kind of gain momentum stateside and have it be kind of one of those like water cooler talk type stories. Because, uh, you know, I think Karen's right. Like my mom, she consumes news, but I think I can count like I think she's only asked me one time, like, why are we upset with J.K. Rowling? And it was as a result of the first thing she ever tweeted about you know, being anti-trans, but she hasn't asked since. And so that's like, my mom is always the barometer because if like she's heard something, then it's mainstream news for me. But if she hasn't, then I'm assuming that like nobody knows. I think we all feel the same way with our family members who just aren't in Mm -hmm. these worlds that we are. Oh, yeah. And the ones who continue to keep buying you official merchandise. (laughs) And it's like, oh, I don't want to be a dick, but Please stop doing that. And you told your family members to stop buying you official stuff, right? I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did want to point out, though, I wonder if part of the reason why Johnny Depp got so much more coverage for his alleged transgressions, um, you know, compared to J.A. Rowling. And I think it's probably because like largely like in the Western world, not saying that other parts of the world they don't, but really this conversation does center on like Western culture and Western politics. Um, Largely, we agree that domestic violence is a bad thing. Um, Even if you were to find somebody who was like the polar opposite politically of you on the street and just stop them and be like, hey, is domestic violence bad? They would probably say yes, whereas we haven't gotten there when it comes to are trans rights a good thing? Are trans rights needed? Are they deserved? Culturally, we're not there. So J.K. Rowling is actually pretty in step with the institutions and the laws that we have surrounding uh, gender recognition and affirmative um, healthcare and things like that. So I think the only point where she would really get put on blast was if she was completely out of step with where we were socially. So we're just not there yet. That's a really good point. And actually over in the UK and maybe other areas of Europe, they actually align more with JK Rowling than many people here in America do. Trans rights are not at the same place over in the UK that they are here. Not that they're particularly good here. I think we're a tad bit more welcoming here in America. So that's a really good point too, Laura. It's just, again, looking at our own family members and even us, like trans rights, it is so new, relatively speaking, in our own lives. Trans visibility, trans rights has slowly been coming up over the past 10-ish years. Honestly, I wasn't thinking too much about... Um, trans people 
10, 15 years ago. We've gotten in a great place with gay, bi, lesbian people now in America. Now it's time to start focusing on the T. It's going to take a long time, but we'll get there eventually. Have any of these issues caused us to kind of fall out of love a little bit with these things that we once were huge fans of? I'm not as enchanted as much as I once was, because obviously this whole situation has put a big damper on things. But I am still in love with the fandom, the fans, the story. None of that has really changed for me, and I don't think it ever will. I don't want her to win. Like a villain in her stories, I don't want the bad guy to win. And I want all the good that's come out of the franchise to prevail and continue to prevail because this fandom has been extremely special and important to all of us. It's a once in our lifetime community in all likelihood. Yeah, especially early on in this conversation uh, in the fandom like 2020, I had a little bit of an existential crisis where I was like, oh my God, how do I keep podcasting about Harry Potter <laughs> in light of all of this? Like, how how do I consume this content? Um, and it for a while, I think it resulted in me looking at the books with an even more critical lens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we critique the Harry Potter books on the show because it's healthy. That's how literary analysis is supposed to work. Um, But there was a while there where I feel like I was really going in hard on them because I was like, oh, fucking JK Rowling. Um, I will say that I, in terms of who I'm most enchanted with at this point, I'm going to have to agree with Andrew that it's the fandom, not the franchise, not the author. I feel similarly. I think that in my mind, at least. And again, I don't podcast about Harry Potter. So a lot of that experience is in the past for me. So it's very easy for me to be like, okay, I have my Harry Potter experience from when I was a kid and a teenager and all of that. And it's in the past. And that isn't necessarily going to change for me because that's in its own little box. But I will say that when the first Fantastic Beasts movie came out, I was really excited. I was like, Harry Potter's back. Yeah, it's not going to be the same thing, but we get to live in this world even longer and get new stories. And it was it was so cool to have that come back. And then as this stuff started coming out, I have no interest in the new movie. None. Like, I'm not even actively trying to fight not going to see it. I don't want to. I don't care. I don't even want to see the trailer. And I was forced to watch the trailer when I went to the movies the other day. I was mad about it. Um, (laughs) No, my eyes, my eyes. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I think that I have fallen out of love with part of it, the newer part, the part that isn't necessarily cemented in my brain, I'm not excited for the future of Harry Potter anymore because that future's kind of gone for me. And you're not alone, Karen. A lot of people really mm-hmm. do feel that way. I'm sure some of our own listeners here feel that way as well. Where do you fall, Pam? I'm conflicted for sure. I think that Karen really hit the nail on the head, which was that it was so exciting to feel like a little bit of that magic was back. Uh, There are a shortage of uh, what I like to refer to as event type movie releases that make you feel 
as uh, electric as something like a midnight release for for a Harry Potter would have back in the day. And it was really nice to get slept back up again with that. Like my friends and I, we went um, to like uh, like an opening night showing. We went to the same theater that we used to all go to in high school. It was like this whole big thing. And it was so nice to feel like a little bit of that was back. And especially I think the older you get, the more you kind of try and cling on to nostalgia. Um, but I think <laughs> what what kind of helps the disenchantment that has happened on my end is that, you know, it really feels like in a lot of ways, barring maybe the the first Fantastic Beast movies, the second one really jumped the shark. <laughs> and so now yeah, that wasn't we're helpful. all just like in Agreed. limbo <laughs> thinking about the third one. If we're interested in seeing it at all, I will go see it. Um, I'm not going to lie to anybody listening, partially because I'm curious and partially because it's part of my job. Yeah. Well, Laura and I are seeing it too because we do Muggle Cast, and I'm 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 curious as well, and I'm actually very optimistic about them fixing the wrongs of crimes of Grindelwald, which in itself was a crime. That leads us into our next question: Why do people who are disappointed in J.K. Rowling still remain a part of the fandom? Why do we still remain here? And I can just run through a brief list first, and then we can discuss these. It makes people happy. It really does. And I think there's so much misery going on in the world, including some misery caused by J.K. Rowling, of course, that some people just like going back to things that are that make them feel at home, that make them feel comfortable. We use the phrase, you know, comfort TV, right? We just want to turn on an episode of Friends and kind of shut our brains off, kind of escape. Harry Potter is a is a big comfort book and TV or book and film franchise for people to escape to, to bring them back to their childhood or just their earlier years in life. There's the nostalgia factor. There's also the the fact that there is a still thriving fandom. There's still Harry Potter conferences. There's still um, Harry Potter trivia nights and just little local fan gatherings. There's the Harry Potter podcast, of course. Am I missing anything else? Does this kind of cover it on a broader level? Why I think people so. still hang, so. hang yeah. on, even if we're disenchanted? I, I think for me, too, part of the reason is because if you're still part of this group of people that have been personally targeted by the vitriol of J.K. Rowling, and you're still trying to find solace and comfort and something that always brought you comfort, I just want you to know that there are people that are still part of this experience that would speak up for you. And I think that that's really important. Yeah. Unlike J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter fandom has largely been a very inclusive and welcoming space. And that's what brings me comfort is knowing that, you know, we are the ones who built the fandom, we being like the readers. If it weren't for the fandom, Harry Potter's influence might look very different. So if you know, the fandom played any kind of role in propelling Harry Potter to the global phenomenon that it became, then I think there's still a lot of good that we can do as a fandom independent of J.K. Rowling. And we're able to reject her and her stance while still consuming the work that brought us all together in the first place. 
and that ties nicely back to the death of the author concept. Like we made the fandom. J.K. Rowling didn't organize the fan sites and the podcasts and the conferences, though I'm sure Team J.K. Rowling wants to cash in on all of it now. We built all that. You know, none of that was forced or, or paid for. It was just all done out of love for the books and the films and the community. And, you know, there's this video game coming up later this year, Hogwarts Legacy, that a lot of people are really anticipating. And then there's talk from the critics saying, why, why support that? Don't support that. Don't support J.K. Rowling. And it's like, for some people, they've been waiting for an open world Harry Potter video game for a really long time. And video games mean, uh, mean a lot to people. And if they're able to use this to escape the misery again of the real world, they're going to take that opportunity. I'm excited for the game. I like video games. I like open world games. I've been waiting for a Harry Potter game like this. But on that related note, let's talk about being a Harry Potter podcaster. Pam, do you want to kind of kick off this discussion? Yeah, I, th- I think that obviously this really heavily relates more to you and Laura than it does to Karen and I. But I mean, like, I think a lot of people are probably wondering how do you both deal with still you know, continuing to do MuggleCast after all these years, despite being disappointed in J.K. Rowling and despite everything that we've opened up about in terms of this conversation. Mm, Andrew, you want to go first? I'm curious okay. to hear yeah, your thoughts there. So I think I think while people have been listening to this today and hearing that we're going to see Secrets of Dumbledore and hearing that, you know, we're excited for Hogwarts Legacy, they might be wondering, well, then what are you doing to actually push back against J.K. Rowling's views. And this has been a very difficult process for us on MuggleCast. MuggleCast, like I said, has been in our lives for 17 years this August. It's a huge part of our lives. On the other hand, we want to do right by trans people and the queer community on a whole and the fandom on a whole. So some things that we've been doing, and I think these really are impactful and more impactful than just going away, we share regular reminders about our stance and feelings uh, on what J.K. Rowling's saying, and we we you know repeatedly talk about uh, our support of trans people, the trans community, the queer community. We've made some donations. We're going to be doing that again with the release of Secrets of Dumbledore to organizations that uh, help trans people when they need you know maybe legal support or just somebody to talk to. Couple of those charities, by the way, Trans Lifeline and the Trevor Project. I think Laura, you've brought up one Lambda Law. Yeah, Lambda Legal. Mm-hmm. Lambda Legal. Okay, so they're helping trans people. They're actually a recommended um, nonprofit from Dr. Sarah Steelman, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in um, particularly working with um, trans youth. She was on an episode of MuggleCast, as Andrew mentioned. She came on to rebut uh, J.K. Rowling's bullshit anti-trans manifesto and talk about how it was uh not researched it's it's basically just a blog post it's not there's no sources <laughs> in it yeah um and and she did a really great job of highlighting how um problematic the so-called legwork jk rowling did for that was um so definitely trust that resource as well lambda legal we'll put it in the show notes yeah great We've built something that we're really proud of with MuggleCast. People love 
the podcast. They've been listening for a really long time. We have new people coming into the show all the time. Yes, we do make a little bit of money from the podcast. It's none of our full-time jobs, though. But we feel like we have a really special opportunity with this podcast. It's not easy to launch a podcast. It's something we're really proud of. And we're not going to walk away from it just because J.K. Rowling is really shit in the bed. And we feel like we can do more speaking out against J.K. Rowling on the podcast than just disappearing. We do have a pretty sizable audience, and we can probably make a difference in at least our listeners' lives and make an impact in their way of thinking on the issues. And maybe hearing us in this relaxed, intimate format will come around to our views if they've been on the fence on this matter, rather than siding with J.K. Rowling. So that's kind of how I deal with it all. For anybody that maybe doesn't listen religiously, although I'm sure most people that listen to Millennial do, have you all seen pushback anytime you've spoken out against J.K. Rowling on the show or on socials? Yep. Yes. Yeah, we've we've gotten some people who who disagree with us. And that's that's okay. Like that just comes with being a podcaster. Yeah. So we I mean, you're right, Andrew, like there's always the potential that on a podcast, you can say something that rubs someone the wrong way. Um, But we've definitely had uh, people unfollow our social accounts, like minutes after we post um, resources like Trans Lifeline, or we speak out against the latest statement that JK Rowling put up. And to that, I honestly say every time, fuck them. (laughs) <laughs> we don't need yeah, I mean, you whatever yeah we don't right. fu- like okay like you don't want to listen to MuggleCast anymore because you're transphobic cool we don't need you bye yeah yeah and i would hope too that every time you post something like that somebody new will follow you going oh this is a safe space so i think yeah. so yeah and i mean we've obviously heard from people who are really glad we're taking the stances that we are and being vocal about it i mean there have been a couple times where we've opened the show an episode of the show up with a statement saying like hey jk rowling's been at it again we want to remind everybody where we stand and i think regular reminders actually are really important when johnny depp was going through court with amber heard and accusations were coming out against him one thing we did at hypable karen you might remember this is um we i made a blog post saying uh we're not gonna forget about what what johnny depp has done and going forward with every fantastic beast article we make on the site we're gonna have a little blurb at the bottom reminding people of the allegations against Johnny Depp. And the reason we wanted to do that is because so often in Hollywood, allegations come out against somebody. Um, you know, they're founded, they're warranted, there's evidence, all that. And then Hollywood and the media just forgets that it happened. Look at Mel Gibson. Uh, look at Louis C.K., who just won a Grammy. They they do very bad things and people just move on from it. So the idea with the reminder at the bottom of all the hypable articles and what we're doing on MuggleCast is to continually remind people because these things should not be forgotten because that's that's how they happen again by these people or other people. Yeah. It's kind of like the equivalent of like, you know, when people say they, they want to make sure they're ethically sourcing their products. It's like you're giving the reader 
the opportunity to say, well, now I understand like the history. So if I choose to spend my money on going to see this movie or purchasing this album or what have you, then that's that's my choice here on out with all of the information I've been given. So, yeah. And I also want to highlight um, we've received emails and DMs um, from Muggle from trans listeners of MuggleCast who've reached out to tell us how much it means to them to see us taking a stance and that it makes them feel like there is still a place in the fandom for them. So if we were doing this show just to make one or two people feel included and feel safe in the Harry Potter fandom, that would be worth it to me. Yeah. Hands down. Karen, in terms of rewatchable, I know that that show was uh, that season of the show was airing before Joss Whedon was making headlines for uh, the stuff that has been in the news recently. But were were you all grappling with any hate or were people generally receptive and appreciative of the more concrete analysis y'all were doing in terms of, you know, calling out things like lack of representation and misogyny and stuff like that? I definitely remember some messages kind of telling us, oh, I didn't know any of that about Charisma Carpenter and the stuff that went on. I don't remember getting any hate. Um, I wasn't really the one running the social, the socials and stuff, Twitter and all of that. So maybe we did, but I would like to think that it was a lot more positive than negative in terms of the response when we were being critical about the show. Have uh, just outside of Buffy and Harry Potter, because obviously we've been talking about there's a lot this uh, segment. Have we been involved with any other fandomy things, or been a fan of other creators that have since turned out to not be great people? Yeah, so I can't say I got involved in this fandom, but I uh, I read Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Great book, loved the story was fully prepared to dive headfirst into the series, do a little bit of searching on the web to see if there was a fan community similar to Harry Potter. And then I found out that Orson Scott Card is an awful homophobe. (laughs) So I was like, "Mm, no, thanks. I'm not interested anymore. And I'm really glad that I found out about that before I got super invested in the series. I'm really glad you uh, brought that one up because I had completely forgotten about that. But I do remember reading about it when the first movie came out. The other one I think about, I'm lucky to not have been in any other problematic uh, creators fandoms. But Stephanie Meyer, the author of Twilight, is one we've always been like, hmm, because she's Mormon. She probably doesn't want gay people getting married. So not a fan of that. But Stephanie Meyer has never brought her stances up concerning LGBTQ people. Maybe that's been very purposeful. And I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but you got to give her credit for that, for not bringing it up because she knew and maybe her people knew that she could get a lot of backlash if she did bring those views up. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the demographics that consumed twilight and that i mean think about when we were doing the imprint tour for example andrew yeah the people who came out to that it was mostly young women and gay men (laughs) like you'd have to be an idiot not to see that that's your demographic and be like oh i'm not gonna say anything about that 
I did ask Stephanie Meyer if she would do an Edward Jacob love story, and she just looked at me and said, no. But she didn't elaborate, and that's why she's it smart. Was a very, it was a deadpan, <laughs> no. It, it was around the time she was like releasing Midnight Sun. I was like, so how about a spinoff where Edward and Jacob are in love? No. Next question, no. <laughs> I'm glad she did not elaborate on that. <laughs> me too. And I won't ask it again. Message received, Stephanie. <laughs> Um, Kara, now that you're a published author and you have a, a platform a platform of your own, do you think more about what you tweet? Not that you're problematic, as far as we know, <laughs> but but I do kind of, you know, I don't know. I just kind of wonder if that kind of feeds into what you decide to put out there because you, the Internet's forever and In it's never and been age, more apparent yeah, than it is now. Yeah. I Luckily, I've never really been a person to share like overly share things online uh so i don't really worry about that i will say you know i do support the things that i support you know queer rights and all that kind of stuff i'm not going to be quiet about that because i truly believe in that uh i don't talk politics too often but i'm not super afraid of putting it out there just because if somebody disagrees with me on those social issues in particular, I probably don't want them reading my books anyway. So I'm not super worried about that. Um, I will say, you know, as a white cisgendered woman, I am worried about the things that I put in my books and make sure that I my representation is good and that I'm not being a problematic author myself. And that's something that I think we're always going to struggle with. And that's sort of a different conversation than this one, just because J.K. Rowling is obviously going out of her way to spew this hatred. Um, But it is something that I do think about sometimes, just because I don't want to get canceled. I don't have that many followers. Well, we'll stand up for you, Karen, assuming Thanks. you don't say, I hate gay people. Yeah, but I, no. I think that's highly <laughs> unlikely. Highly unlikely. So let's talk about things that you can do. Let's say, well, maybe you're a current fan of Harry, of Harry Potter. Maybe you're an ex-fan of Harry Potter. First, I just want to say to those who are very critical of active fans of Harry Potter, and I know I, I am an active fan of Harry Potter, I think we all need to let people handle this in their own way. I think everybody should be supportive of trans people. I, in my opinion, believe JK Rowling is very wrong and I am deeply disappointed in her. But I don't think that everybody should expect Harry Potter fans to burn all their books, cancel their plans to see the movie, not buy the video games, not buy the illustrated editions, just because that's how you plan on dealing with J.K. Rowling. Everybody has to do this in their own way. There's not going to be one line to walk. And I know that's that can be frustrating and disappointing. But like we've been saying on today's episode, people really do love Harry Potter. They love other fandoms. It is a comfort to them it's a resource for them it's it's a lifeline for them so i want everybody to speak out about about the issues with what jk rowling is saying but i also want everybody to do this in their own way i'm making changes in my life um 
you know, I've been pretty silent on Harry Potter on social media. I, of course, talk about it on MuggleCast because it's part of my job. It's part of my life. Um, But I've made a very concerted effort to not talk about Harry Potter on my social media channels because, to be honest, I feel like to, to do that would be letting down my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. I have some LGBTQ followers, and I don't want to let them down. And I don't want to let my own community down on a larger scale. So that's how I'm dealing with it. Like I said earlier, we at MuggleCast, and I think personally, we've been trying to offset our ticket sales, so to speak, with you know donations to charities. And then not forgetting. That's another thing you can do. Like I was saying earlier, just don't forget. And J.K. Rowling makes it very easy to not forget because she does not stop. You know, I I definitely do the donations um, to the charities that we've mentioned to kind of offset. Um, But also when it comes to these movies, I'm not going to lie. I find it really hard to get excited over the Fantastic Beasts franchise at this point, one majorly because of J.K. Rowling, but two, because it really has jumped the shark. And I actually talked in the latest episode of Bugglecast about how I'm not confident that this third installment can clean up the mess that was the second movie. We'll find out. Um, But, you know, typically I would be like, buying tickets to go to an IMAX like 3D showing on release night. I'm not doing that. I'm going to the shittiest movie theater I could find (laughs) where I could get like $7 tickets to see this damn movie because I, you know, I want to spend as little money as possible so that I can be able to come talk about it probably unfavorably, I'm guessing, (laughs) on MuggleCast. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's that. I'm not buying official merch. I'm only buying fan-made merch. That's a way that I try to offset, too, is by supporting, um, you know, independent creators and things like that. I'm doing the same thing in terms of avoiding official merch and particularly if there are queer trans artists, like, trying to buy from them and stuff like that, because I think... The Harry Potter fandom is still very much alive, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, but uh, Andrew, I think you mentioned this. The fandom is ours at this point. Harry Potter is mm-hmm. ours. We we populated this world with so many of our other stories, and I particularly wanted to mention fan fiction because we hadn't done that yet. Fan fiction is a huge part of the Harry Potter fandom, and I haven't read it in a long time, but I would hope that if somebody is looking for a way to make trans Harry Potter fans feel more comfortable in the space, like write some fan fiction, you know, like I think that's a really good way to kind of fight back from what we're seeing from the official creator versus what a lot of the fans I would think feel about this space in general and and wanting to be supportive of each other. I think that you all hit the nail on the head in terms of offsetting ticket sales. I know that that is something that not everybody is comfortable doing. But if you are comfortable doing that, then I don't think there's anything wrong with it. 
Um, I also appreciated what Andrew said, which is uh, everybody needs to just kind of reckon with what this means for them in their own way. I really don't subscribe to this whole idea of like you're automatically transphobic if you still associate at all with Harry Potter, because I do think there are a lot of fans that are doing a lot of good. And it would just be a shame if all of those people that were doing good and were speaking up were to just like do a mass exodus of the fandom and then all you would have left were these people that were, you know, uh, just wanting to be as bigoted as, as the creator is being. So I will say I'm excited to see this movie. It's going to, it brings me back, you know, to the Harry Potter days, not because it's called secrets of Dumbledore and they're trying way too hard to, to get, make people think this is a Harry Potter movie, but it just, it brings back memories of the old days, you know, going yeah. to see a new Harry Potter movie. It's exciting. I don't get excited for any franchises. Yeah. I'm not very into Star Wars and Marvel. For me, it's still Wizarding, Wizarding World, even though there's so much baggage. And I'm optimistic that this is going to be a, a good movie. So I paid a little more than uh, Laura's $7. <laughs> you all set Laura's shitty ticket. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not judging you. I, I no, think I know, to I the... Know. To the point that's been raised here is that this reckoning is something that's going to boil down to an individual basis of comfort level in terms of how you address it um, and how you speak out about it. But I think the most important thing is that we are speaking out about it and sort of at a, at a bare minimum making financial contributions to charities that benefit and help trans people to offset any financial <laughs> contributions we might be making to the wizarding world. I mean, that goes to even, you know, if you ever want to go to Universal Studios again, if you don't set foot in the wizarding world, it doesn't matter because J.K. Rowling's still getting money from you buying a ticket to Universal Studios, right? Yeah. So, you know, there does come, there is a degree of like, how much are you going to like stop yourself from enjoying things that you otherwise enjoy? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where the potential for offsetting comes in. Karen, you actually stand an unproblematic author, Rick Riordan, right? Yeah, Rick Riordan, yeah. Rick Riordan, the Percy Jackson author. And yes. you actually have a Percy Jackson podcast. Tell us about that. I do. It's called Prophecy Radio. And we basically talk about Rick Rodden's projects, new and old. And if you're tired of J.K. Rowling, come over here to Rick Rodden land. <laughs> We're hiring. <laughs> it's great. Um, and I, so Rick is, you know, a 50-year-old white guy, I think originally from Texas. Like, you would think that... He wouldn't be one of the good ones, but he's been writing the Percy Jackson series for like 15 plus years now, and he has done his due diligence to make sure that he puts representation in the books. And you see that, especially as they go along, his characters become more diverse, and he really works toward trying to make sure that represent representation is accurate. It isn't always perfect. And my favorite thing about him is that he admits to that and he tries to do better. There have been a couple of instances where he'd gotten something wrong with like a Muslim character. And uh, I think there was a Native American character, too, that people weren't super happy with. He wrote a blog post about it. He talked about it and he was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that this was a problem when I wrote it. Like going forward, I'm going to try to make sure that I do better. 
And that's just worlds away from what we're seeing with J.K. Rowling, obviously. But even better than that, am I selling you on this yet? Even better you than are. that, he started an imprint called Rick Rowden Presents where oh, he, yeah. yeah, it's so amazing. He basically took his platform of writing stories about mythology and gave it to other authors because fans kept asking him, when are you going to write about Mayan mythology? When are you going to write about Hindu mythology? And he was like, I don't think I'm the right person to do this. I didn't grow up with these stories. I don't know them well enough. I don't feel like this is my space. And he basically got a whole bunch of authors to write these kind of stories and put it out under this imprint and there are 14 authors and like dozens of books in all sorts of mythologies and they're so good like if you like Percy Jackson I see no way no reason why you wouldn't like these other books because they're in the same vein but they really open you up to different cultures and they're all own voices they're all written by people who know those stories because they grew up on them and I love that he's taken his platform and happily handed it off to other people. It's just, it's a really beautiful thing. And that's why we started the podcast because he's great. Oh, yeah. That all sounds so amazing. And just (laughs) lifting up these smaller, (laughs) more diverse authors. It's all perfect. It's it's what Harry Mm -hmm. Potter should have been. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And he's also making strides behind the scenes with the Disney Plus series, right? In terms of trying to make sure that the casting stays inclusive. Yeah, all of the the castings, you know, open casting for the trio, especially, and they, you know, he said pretty much from the beginning, we just want the right person in that role. It doesn't matter what they look like or anything like that. They just want to make this the best version that it's going to be. And I, you know, he's hired like a diverse writing room. So it's all from the ground floor up. And it's just, I, I couldn't be happier with the direction everything's going in. I That's a nice that. note to end it all on. Yeah. Karen, thanks so much for joining us today. This thanks has been for amazing. Can you? Of course, we love you. You you are so awesome. You contributed so much to today's discussion, and I'm glad we just ended it on a bright note to hear yeah. you know everything Rick's doing. Do you want to just plug where people can find you online, and again, where we can read your books? Yeah, you can find me mostly on Twitter at Karen underscore Rot R O U G H T. And I have my link to my Amazon page on there. I write under KM Rot, so you'll be able to find that. And uh, please listen to Prophecy Radio. I'm really, really proud of what we're doing. And we just got to interview one of the authors from the imprint, <gasps> and that was really exciting. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So um, please come join us and say hi. That would be great. Thanks. That's, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and your Eminem podcast is where? Where can we find um, that? I'm working on it. I'll let you okay. know when that's up and running. <laughs> okay. So before we close out the episode, there were a couple of items coming out of DC, actually, that we thought we would update everybody on. So, Laura, first of all, I have to ask you about this news. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to decriminalize marijuana. Yeah, it It feels like a pretty big moment because, to be honest with you, it's hard to imagine uh, either chamber of Congress making this kind of vote even five years ago. 
Um, to me, I don't know that we're seeing the beginning of marijuana legalization um, because the Senate is a whole other discussion in terms of, you know, would this pass the Senate? I don't think it would right now. Um, but the fact that we actually had a couple of Republicans cross over in the House to vote with Democrats on this. Um, and we had a couple of Democrats cross over to vote no with the Republicans. So, <laughs> Damn it. yeah, I know. But, you know, we are starting to see some small glimmers of support from across the aisle. And I think the fact that Democrats are even willing to bring it to the table says a lot. Um, and we could potentially be seeing legalization, I would say, you know, within our lifetimes hopefully <laughs> within our lifetimes <laughs> promising <Hopefully>. i guess <laughs> well i remember when we were like 20 and i was like yeah i think gay marriage is going to be legalized in our lifetimes and then it ended up getting legalized we're still quite young so i'm hoping yeah. that the trend will continue and pot will just get legalized in like five years people are certainly waking up to the benefits of marijuana yeah. people who hadn't been aware of the benefits you know there's obviously been all these misconceptions and the stoner pothead labels um but yeah people are really seeing the health benefits to uh marijuana maybe helped by cbd oil which we've spoken about a lot on the show by the way i'm currently in california i'm gonna be looking to grab some delta eight because it's illegal in nevada yeah. for some reason so i need to hit the streets and start looking for the good stuff because I, I don't like the the bigger high i like a much chiller smaller sure, high i'm sure it won't be hard to find <laughs> yeah okay i'm i'm gonna go looking tonight me in brooklyn i'm assuming gonna... it's everywhere yeah <laughs> okay but yeah, so that's that's good news. We'll see if anything develops there. And something I want to call out about this that's also great. I mean, decriminalization is awesome. Um, but this bill would also expunge the records of people who were convicted of nonviolent cannabis offenses. Um, and, you know, in particular, that hurts people of color overwhelmingly. Um, so... I think there's also justice that is sewn into this bill. Um, so while I don't think we'll see passage of it in the Senate, the Senate actually has their own marijuana decriminalization bill um, in their chamber. Neither of these bills is expected to cross the cross the 60 vote threshold that they would need to pass. Um, but the needle is moving in the right direction, albeit yes. slowly. Speaking of things passing the House, this daylight saving bill did pass the House, but we haven't heard anything yet about it going to the Senate. I know this is all a slow moving process, but I just wanted to say while we're on the subject of votes in the House and Senate, you've gotten my hopes up about this bill about daylight saving time being made permanent. Please, for the love of God, Let's make this permanent. I'm just way too excited about this. Obviously, the days are getting longer this time of year. I'm feeling good later into the day, thanks to the sun setting later in the day. Please, please, please. I know there are some concerns. I know we tried it in the 70s and it didn't work out. We already spoke about that. Let's give it another try for a couple of years. If it doesn't work out, we'll switch back. But yeah. come on. It's been a long time since the 70s. Give us a little treat after COVID. You know, a fun little twist on america after all that uh, suffering more daylight after all the suffering 
And there's an added bonus. Um, the Associated Press reported today, it doesn't really come as a shock, but it is a pleasant surprise that the White House is going to be extending the pause on the federal student loan payment moratorium until August 31st of this year, meaning if you hold federal student loans and you haven't been paying them for the last couple of years, you don't have to start paying them again on May 1st, which was the original plan. Um, We've seen this pause get kicked down the road further and further. Remember, I think it was last year, it was supposed to start up again in September. And then they pushed it until January. And then Mm -hmm. as we got close to January, they pushed it to May. (laughs) And now they're pushing it to August. It makes me wonder if it's ever going to happen. And given the fact that they've now punted it to be like two months before midterms, no way. They are not reinstating student loan payments right before midterms. It's not happening. They're either going to kick the can down the road again before midterms, or they're going to do something about student loan debt before midterms. I think it's probably more likely that they're just going to keep kicking the can down the road, but I'm hopeful for something more. Well, you've been right this whole time because you've been calling this for a while. So yeah, every single time I'm like... uh, Uncle They're not going to do yours, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's I call him every week, and I'm like, Joe, don't forget, Joe. Come on, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> the winter is coming. The midterms are coming. Yeah, it's. I guess maybe it's more palatable for for DC to see him extend it in smaller increments rather than just being like extended through 2022. We'll talk again in 2023. Yeah, probably. But yeah, it does seem dumb, right? Because it's like, okay, we all know they're not going to restart the payments before midterms. <laughs> right. Things aren't looking good. And now we're about to make our chances even worse. Mm-hmm. All right. So there are some updates for everybody. And before we get to recommendations, just wanted to say thank you to everybody who supports us at patreon.com slash millennial. We could not do this without you. And uh, some weeks we have less or no ads, and that's when the Patreon really comes in handy. It's it's really the driver of the success of the show. It's the reason that we can do it weekly. We can depend on this income coming in from our supporters every month. So thank you so much. Coming up in After Dark, we might have a bit of a juicy After Dark on our Patreon. We're going to be confessing to some things that be illegal or just in bad taste and this was kind of inspired by last week's discussion in which we were talking about netflix starting to crack down on password sharing which is not illegal but there's maybe an argument that it's in bad taste it's a little bad but we're going to push things further this time we're going to be talking about some things that might actually be bad (laughs) that we do or have done in our lives We record a new After Dark installment every week following the conclusion of the main show, and then we release it in what we call Mega Millennial on Patreon. It's ad-free millennial with After Dark at the end, and we give you a little time code of when After Dark starts, just in case you want to jump straight to After Dark. So again, patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody who supports us. We really appreciate it. And uh, we would also really appreciate if you don't call the police on us after we confess to these things. In After Dark. Okay, it's time for recommendations. I want to share a feature in Gmail that a lot of people might not actually know about. You can actually mute emails in Gmail. 
You can do this by selecting an email and then you can click on the three dots at the top in the kind of toolbar. And then there's a mute button. And this will stop an email from popping up again. Say if lots of people are on an email chain and you don't care about it, you know how sometimes people will CC a huge group of people instead of BCCing people, you can just mute it. Or maybe somebody is spamming you with following up on this emails again and again. Just mute it. I do this all the time. So check out that mute feature on Gmail. It can really make your inbox a more pleasant experience. Um, I'd like to promote something also tech related. And I think it's something, Andrew, you've uh, recommended before. Um, I really like 1Password for generating strong passwords, but also acting as a really safe and secure password keeper. Um, That way, you only have to remember 1Password to get into your vault with all of your other passwords. It's super handy, and it makes me feel really secure when it comes to generating passwords for like banking accounts or other secure or sensitive, you know, financial things. My email, even if somebody gets into your email, they can reset all your passwords to everything and then you're fucked. So I I really like 1Password for this purpose. Um, I noticed that when I was, you know, in the days where I was making up my own passwords, I would get these alerts through, you know, some credit cards give you alerts about like, your email was compromised on the dark web. <laughs> like it would pop up and be like the password for this account was compromised on the dark web. I don't get those anymore ever since I started using one password. So it's great. I mean, the the subscription fee, it's like $3.99 a month or $30 a year. Um, so it's really not too expensive and it buys a little peace of mind for your security. Definitely. I love making a super strong password, just like 30 characters, completely yep. <laughs> random. And then, of course, there's that once in a while where like you can't actually just copy and paste the password. So then you sit there for 20 minutes typing in capital G <laughs> exclamation point. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And there is integration across iOS and Android. So you can easily put in your passwords when you need to. You don't always have to jump back and forth between like one password and the app you're trying to log into. And I wanted to do a music recommendation this week. I wanted to recommend As It Was by Harry Styles. This is the lead single off of his forthcoming third studio album called Harry's House, which is due out on May 20th. It's just a really nice spring into summer type vibe, very bright indie pop, 80s synth pop. So if that's your vibe, because it's very much mine, I would recommend checking this out. And I'm really excited to see if that sound transfers over to the album as a whole when it comes out next month. We would love to hear everybody's feedback on today's discussion. You can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also send us feedback on our social media channels. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and our new TikTok. But at TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. So do follow us there. And like I said, send in feedback. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.